All right. Have y'all gotten anything out of this series? Yes. All right. I hope so. I have, if you haven't. Um, I can tell you, every time I, I, you know, I start thinking through series way out and start praying through some things, and um, man, I can tell you that the last couple of, couple of series we've gone through, it's like God says, hey, yeah, I want you to preach this, but I'm going to take you through it and let you live it for a little while first. Uh, y'all ever had those? Where God teaches us something, he's like, hey, let me let you live through that. Uh, I know in this series I've had the, the enemy try to grab the, the chair and throw it up in the table quite a few times and make it a table for three. So um, I don't know why he does that, but, but a lot of times our, our life is um, that we, we learn best in life when we, when we have these experiences. So let me, let me give you a little bit of recap so we can all be on the same page here. If you missed any of these messages, you can just go over to our website at wearetogether.church um, uh, forward slash sermons, and you can catch up everything but week one. We're, gonna, we're working on getting week one back up, but two and three are there. But let me, let me give you a breakdown so you don't have to go watch it during this service. In the first week, we, we looked at Psalm chapter 23. This is our launching board for this, the series. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We've read that over the last few weeks. But we specifically look at verse 5 where it says that the Lord prepares for us a table in the presence of our enemies. Now, our enemies aren't people. We know this from Paul. Paul says that our enemies, that the war that we fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against the, the principalities of darkness. So we, we fight against the enemy and the demons of the world. We, we look at the chaos that's taking place in, in Ukraine and Russia right now. That's not a fight be, between people. That is spiritual. It is a spiritual thing because we don't fight flesh, right? So when you get in those arguments with your spouse, your spouse is not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy, right? It's really easy to think that your spouse is the enemy, but they're not. This is a lie that we buy into. So he says that he prepares this table before, before you and me and God, we, we have this private time with God, this, this communion with God, that at this table we learn, we spend time with our Father, it shows our devotion, he speaks to us. It's, it's a perfect table that's set for the two of us in the presence of the enemies. We're not worried about the things that the enemies are doing. We're not worried about the things that they're trying to cause. What we're trying to do is stay focused and lock eyes with our Father at the table, our Good Shepherd. But in the middle of, the, of being in this table, of this private time with you and God, this fellowship, what we find happen is the enemy wants to start speaking from all these things that are around you and they will speak to you and he'll preach to you and he'll do everything that he can to distract you from that one-on-one -on -one conversation with God. And then what we'll say is this table for two becomes a table for three. It is now overcrowded and if you give just a, a small, small second, the enemy will have a table sitting uh, right with you. He will have a seat right with you. He will have candlelight right with you and he will pull your attention from the things that God is trying to teach you to where you're focusing on the things that he wants to tell you. And so what he does, and we talked about this in our second week, is that he uses very strategic lies. He's a strategic liar. If you look at the devil's resume, one of the things that's on there is that he is the father of all lies. This is where they, come, they begin. This is where they end is with the enemy giving these lies that uh, we're not going to make it. We're not good enough. We have no self-worth. Um, nobody cares about it. These are all lies that get ingrained into our mind. And here's the thing. He doesn't really attack us physically as far as like attacking our body. He comes at us to uh, get within our brains because our minds are powerful. Uh, the way that we think 
dictates how we do things. Uh, as a matter of fact, our thoughts dictate the kind of people that you and I become. You can, you can read that in Proverbs uh, chapter 20, 28, I believe it is. In Proverbs 28, verse se- 23, verse 7, it, it tells us that, that our thoughts, like our, our ways, our, our, the way that we think dictates the way that we live. There's a lot of things that we do now because of the way we think, right? Or the way that we've been taught to do things. You may cook a certain way different from someone else. This is why oftentimes when you have to do group projects with people, it's difficult because you've learned it a completely different way than they did, right? Um, But our our thought processes dictate the kind of people and the kind of lives that we live. And this is why last week we talked about there's a battle for your mind. And and you got to be aggressive with it. You can't be passive and excuse the thoughts that enter into your head and just write them off as just you know, another thought, not a big deal. There, there are thoughts that come in and once they take root, they can, they can sit with you for years. They can affect everything about you. And so when we're sitting at this table with the Father, with our good shepherd, we're hearing from him and everything he says is taking root in our brains. But the moment that we shift to let the enemy at the table, we begin to hear every negative, defeating thought that he has enter into our mind. And and this plays out through story after story in the scripture. It plays out and every one of us has a story of some type of lie that we have bought into, that we're currently bought into, or something that we've been released of because we've come to understand where where it's at. And so what Paul tells us is with, with this battle for the mind, you and I have to take every thought captive. Captive. Like, that's an aggressive word. Okay? He's saying you got to be aggressive about it. You can't be passive about it. When those thoughts enter your mind, you better take it captive and make that thought obedient to Christ. We said the two things that we need to do when these thoughts enter into our head is ask these two questions. Number one, where did this thought come from? Who said this? Because if Eve would have had a, a toll booth in her mind to stop on this information highway in her brain and would have said, hey, time out. He just asked this question. Did God really say this? If she would have paused right there and asked, who's saying this? Well, she would have quickly realized that this wasn't God, that this was something different. And what what does God's word have to say about it? What does he have to say about it? Now, Eve had something that we didn't have. She she physically got to see God on earth and have these conversations. We we don't do that. We have to pray and hear from God. But she, she physically could have gone to God and said, hey, What's up with this? Who said this? Was this you? Was it not you? We, we have to get to a point where we start taking these thoughts and ask the question, did this come from God? And what does his word say about this thought? And let me tell you, you can't answer that second question if you're not in the word, if you're not spending time. Because if you're going to ask that question, you've got to be sitting at that table that the Lord has prepared for you and sitting with your shepherd and hearing from him and dining with him on his word. And if we don't do it, we will be massively deceived. And we will throw all kinds of theologies and all kinds of things that sound good, but just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's sound theology. There's a a complete difference. Like, it, it takes just a few minutes on Facebook of people posting things that sound good, but they are so far from the scripture, so far from the scripture. And you got you to know, what does the Bible have to say about this? So I would, I would say when the battle of our mind, 
Who said it? And what does God's word say about this? And if you can get those two questions answered, you can begin to take those thoughts captive because I'm taking that thought captive by making it stop and going, who said it? And I'm making it obedient by saying, what does the word have to say about this? Because the word says something else and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to claim that truth and I'm going to walk in that truth that God has given. So we, we got to be very, very careful when we allow. And I would say this too. Even in church settings, did God say this? And what does the scripture say? The number one place that deception happens is in the church. Isn't that sad? Because we sit back and assume that I know everything because I have a degree. I did five years of college, not four. You follow me? You getting me? I didn't have a full ride. Matter of fact, I didn't even have a ride to school. Allison took me back and forth for a while. That was as close to a ride that I got, right? You, you need to question everything in the Scripture. Test it all against the Scripture. That's what James says. We test everything by the Scripture and by the Word of God. So don't just come to church or go to a church or anywhere. Think through what's being said and what does the Scripture have to say to it. And I would challenge you with this too. Be careful of churches that when you're not here, you go visit a church. Be very careful of what, what's being taught because you don't want bad theology being pumped in your head either because that brings tons of confusion. In the Bible, Paul tells us in Corinthians that God is not the author of confusion. So if there's stuff being taught and it's like super confusing, is this coming from God and is this stand against his word? What does his word have to say about it? Okay. That's a, that's a long recap, but now you're caught up. So let's talk today because if, if we're capturing these thoughts and we're claiming these truths and we're walking in these truths, there's something that God wants to give us. And we have to resolve in our mind that it's under attack. We have to resolve in our mind that we've got to stay focused on the shepherd. We, these things have to be resolved, that we can't do this by ourselves, that we do have a power that's within us, a divine power, that the Bible tells us that the same power that resurrected Christ from the grave is the same power that lives in us. So, so the outcome that God has planned for us is this. And I want you to say this with me. The outcome that God has planned for us is victory. Say that word with me. Victory. And we walk around in defeat all the time. We let a phone call, a text message, a conversation defeat us and deflate us. When we walk in victory because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We shouldn't walk around defeated. We, we walk around standing in the victory that Jesus has given us because of what he has done for us. You, you following me? Like we, he, he tells us that in, in this whole battle for the mind, the outcome that he has planned is victory for you. He doesn't want our minds to struggle because we, we got to understand to win the battle of our mind means that we have to be hearing from him and being in his word so that that's the thing that saturates our thought processes. I love the song we just sang because it says, the first line, I cast my mind to Calvary. Because if I just throw my brain and my thought processes right to the hill of Calvary, that just changes everything. Because there's, a, there's some humility in that, right? I remember when we were in Israel, we went to... We went to the place 
the traditional site of where they believe that Jesus was crucified. And I can tell you, when you get there, there's humility. Matter of fact, when you walk in these holy sites where Jesus was born, they have what they call the humility door. It's a small door where you have to bow to be able to walk in it because they're keeping you humble to walk in it. But when you walk in this place and realize what has taken place there, there's humility. So we cast our mind to Calvary. We put our thoughts on what happened on that cross. We put our thoughts on that grave that is empty. And that is where we stand in victory. Notice we weren't crucified. We weren't resurrected. But with Christ we were. And because he's victorious, we can be victorious. Listen, the enemy has a different narrative than what God has. God has victory for us. The enemy has a different narrative. He speaks the language of defeat. Go back to the strategic lies. You can't do this. You're not good enough. Everybody's out against you. These are, the, these are the lies, right, that we buy into. And what does he say in John 10.10? 10? In John 10.10, 10, Jesus tells us that the thief, being the enemy, the devil, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He has no good intentions for your life. And here's the thing. If, if we're being so passive about our thought processes, this is the person that we've invited to the table, one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He has no good intentions, but for some reason... We will give him more time. When we walk around in defeat, guess who we're giving time to? Guess who we're communing with? It's not the Father. Because the Father doesn't speak the language of defeat. So number one, when you hear these lies come into your head and you ask, is this from God? If it's the language of defeat, I'll just go ahead and give you a shortcut. It's not God, because God doesn't speak defeat. And that's what the Romans thought were going to happen. That's what the Jewish people thought were going to happen when they crucified him. That there was going to be a banner of defeat written over Christianity. But it was a big banner of victory that was written over Christianity. The, the enemy speaks a language of defeat. But Jesus has already marked a path for you and me. And it's a completely different path from that of the enemy. So, so the outcome that God wants for us is what? Victory. Victory. But God has given us, and I want you to listen to this point clearly. God has given us victory through Jesus. We didn't do anything to get this victory. Jesus did. And a lot of times we try to beat the processes, the thought processes, with everything that's earthly. We try to fight spiritual battles with earthly things. We try to fight an enemy that we're not equipped to fight, but we serve a God who is. We have to get our victory through Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it tells us, I think we're going to have this one on the screen. I think 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us about this. It tells us that we have the whole victory through Jesus, that God's given us victory through him. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. And he says this. He says that, I can't see numbers this morning. That's when you know you're getting old. I need a, like a giant print Bible. He says, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Because Paul's understanding. He's writing this to the church of Corinth, by the way, who um, our men's ministry can tell you all about the problems that the church of Corinth was going through. We'll just say that they had some issues. But he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So our, our victory comes from Jesus. 
the, the starting point of our, our of battling from the mind doesn't start from zero. It starts from Jesus. So we have to understand that. What, what does my relationship look like with him? How am I spending time with him? How am I hearing from him? How am I applying these things and making these things? I call them points of obedience. What things are he's asking me to do that I need to be obedient with? Because he, his outcome is victory, and it only comes through him. If I want to live a life that he has called me to live, this abundant life that he tells us that he comes to give in John chapter 10. See, the enemy tells us what he's coming for, but Jesus tells us the, the opposite, that he comes, that we may have abundant life. That only comes through Jesus. But we have to recognize where it comes from. Because if not, we will become the hero in the story. And can I just tell you that when we read the passages of Scripture, if we get done reading that and we're the hero of the story, you need to start over again because you've missed it. Because Jesus is always the hero. Your marriage was failing and now it's whole. Jesus is the hero. Your bank account dropped. You didn't have a job your whole life. You thought you were going to be homeless. Jesus is the reason for that. You struggled with addiction. Jesus was the reason of that healing of that restoration, of that redemption. It's so easy for us to get caught up in this narrative to think that, that we have all this power. And typically when we start putting our agendas into the agenda of God, we find ourselves in a mess. We find ourselves all over the board. But when we and, that, and that, again, the reason for that is because we've allowed the enemy to come and tell us that our ways are right, but the Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts, right? So God's given us victory through Jesus, that, and that's because of the life of Christ that is in us and what God is doing through us. I think so often we, we get more caught up in what God's doing through us, and we miss the point that before God will do anything through you, he needs to do work in you. Because whatever is happening in you is what's going to come out. Because if our thought patterns, because we're having the mind of Christ and Christ is speaking to us and we're taking these thoughts in, we're going to pump those out to the income, to the outcome. And our, and our lives are going to look different because of that. Now, if you think back, the enemy came in and he's spoken lies to you, he's spoken lies to me, and he's taken up some ground in our heads. Like we have a way that we think about things. We have our preferences. We, some, we're often selfish. We can be bitter. We can be angry. And there's certain things, there's certain topics that we can bring up and people will get, the, oh, don't even bring that up. You know what I'm talking about, those things? That's because in those parts of our minds, those are good exposure points to tell us that's some turf that the enemy has taken up. And he has, he has battled and he has taken that part of your mind. And what Jesus did is when, when Jesus comes into the, to the picture, and we, we're sitting at the table with the shepherd, what, what he's doing is he's moving in the enemy territory, and he's taking back ground in our minds. This is why we're taking thoughts captive through the victory that Jesus has given us. He's taking ground in our brains, and our minds, to be able to think and have the mind of Christ, to be able to think the way that he thinks. Now, this is, this is where Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we are demolishing the strongholds, the strongholds, the, the, the thought patterns in our minds that are keeping us from this relationship with Jesus. Paul says that we destroy every single stronghold. 
And to do that, you can only do that through Jesus. You can only do that through his word. Because the problem is Jesus will define what the actual stronghold is. Stronghold can be a lot of things. It can be things that you had issued in your past. Religion can be a stronghold. But until you hear from the voice of Jesus, you won't be able to identify that stronghold. And once it's identified, it'll be destroyed and new ground will be taken. So this whole battle for our mind is really Jesus coming in and taking ground from the enemy. So we, we have victory, but Paul also tells us that we still have to fight. We have to fight the good fight because where Jesus can get this ground from us, for us, we can easily give this ground back up. Because all it takes is one thing for the enemy to slide the chair back up to the table and it become a table for three. So the battle for starts in our minds. The, the, the warfare between us and the enemy starts within our mind. And it's the way that we, we see things. We have to remember that we're not fighting for victory. We fight, we're fighting from victory. And that should give us confidence. This is why we can approach the throne of God with confidence because we approach God's throne with victory of knowing that he's already paid a price for us. Think about the 12 spies back in, in Exodus. They leave Egypt after being captive. They get spun around for 40 years because of disobedience. But Moses sends 12 spies out. You remember this story? And he sends, sends the 12 spies out. And the 12 spies go out in the land of Canaan, and they come back. And here's the report that the 12 give. They said this. It's beautiful. Man, they're grape clusters that are massive. They're massive. The, it's, the land's producing. It's everything we could ever want. It's flowing with milk and honey. And I want to sidestep for just a second. I always felt that was weird. You know what I mean? I was like, what kind of Jewish poetry are we reading? Like, uh, you know, uh, uh, is it just rivers of milk? Like, what was this? But let me, let me just help you in your brain so I can uh, help you get unstuck if your thoughts are there. And if I told you this before, forget that I told you and pretend like this is the first time. But when we talk about, they came back and they said, hey, this land is flowing with milk. It wasn't talking about physical milk because as a kid, I thought this would be amazing. Like, is it just white milk? Is there chocolate milk? Is there 2% milk? They're going to have cereal anytime that they want to have it with the manna, put some milk on the manna. What they were talking about when they got there, they were talking about goats. The land is full of goats. It's the Israeli mountain goat, right? And they're everywhere. When you go to the Judean wilderness, like if you're a Israeli goat hunter, man, it is a free-for-all. Like there's no reason you shouldn't get a goat and have one mounted on your mantle because they're everywhere. And you think God's trying to move 1.5 million people out of captivity and he's got them in the desert and he's to feed them. They've got goats. So when they, when they said that it's a land flowing with milk and honey, the milk was referring to the Israeli mountain goat. Now, the honey, that one made a little bit more logical sense in my mind. Maybe there are a lot of bees, right? But what it was talking about is a date tree, D-A-T-E, date tree, right? Um, you can go buy dates over here at the Piggly Wiggly. They, in my opinion, taste awful. But in the date tree, out of the tree would have honey, and it would produce this honey. And if you go to the Judean wilderness today, there are tons of date trees. Matter of fact, it's one of the exports of Israel. So when they said milk and honey, 
what they were talking about was the provision that God had given them through these date trees of honey and through this, these goats. There was milk and there was meat. Praise God, we have meat. Because they had been munching on manna up until this point and you know, they had the whole quail thing, but they complained and God took it away. But back to what I was saying, they, they come and they spy out this land and these are the, the provisions that God gives them. But they all this goodness they brought out the one negative. So they say, hey, we got milk and honey. It's just flowing like it's everywhere. Man, the, the grape clusters are massive. But there's, man, the Canaanites are like giants. We ain't going to be able to beat them. So not a good idea. So out of the 12, 10 of them said, bad idea. We shouldn't do it. Doesn't matter how good it looks. We shouldn't do it. Now, this land was not the land. It was the promised land that God had promised to give them. But they allowed one negative thing to shift their mindset. Because, see, what happens is we'll often decide our own fate based on what we perceive to be our own ability to win what's right in front of us. And what was happening was they were saying, we have all these good things in the promised land. But we can't beat the giants. And they were right. They couldn't. But God had already given them the victory had they been faithful and obedient to hear what he was trying to say. Because they should have stopped and gone, yeah, these giants are big. But who's telling us this? What did God already tell us? The land was theirs. And they missed out because they allowed what they were perceiving to be right in front of them to cause them to lose this battle. See, I think a lot of times that's what happens for us is we, we, we come under these thoughts. We come under these lies of the enemy and we perceive like maybe it's true and we don't even try to fight through it. We don't even try to get help. We just allow them to fester and to grow and then years later down our lives they start to come back up because whatever you put down in the well will always come back in a bucket. Always. So we have to be careful that what we perceive because we, we see things through our lens, if we're communing with God and having fellowship at the table with him, everything we see will be through the lens of the Father. And then we have no fear. We, we have confidence in the Latin confide, which is where we get the word faith. And we have faith in what God wants us to do. Here's the, the, the last thing here is that winning the battle of our minds begins with us this is another key word. He gives us victory through him. But winning the battle of our minds begins with uniting with Christ. Uniting with him. Being a part of him. Because of what he's done. So there has to be this, this uniting, like unified. I'm following you. I believe in you. Where you call me to go is where I will go. I love when Joshua said that that. This house, this is the Lord's house. He made that proclamation. That as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You do what you want to do. But he had already made in his mind the confidence that it doesn't matter what battle comes our way. As today, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. There's a, there's a confidence in that. And we have this we have this confidence when we can unite with Jesus because when we're united with him, we can, our faith is, is deepened. Our faith grows because we learn to trust him more. 
You don't just drop your kids off with a stranger that you've never met before. Or you should never drop your kid off with a stranger that you've never met before. You do, you do some homework, don't you? Hey, where do you go to school? Who are your parents? Where do you live? What's your GPA? Where, you know, are you CPR certified? Do you know how to do innovations? Do you know how to do all these things? I need to know. We do our homework. And you know, when you have a sitter that comes and watches your kids, the more that you get to know that sitter, the more confidence you have and the less you're on worried about your phone and texting and, and waiting for that emergency call when you're out on that day, isn't it? And when we're united with Jesus, it's the same thing. The whole world starts to go out in chaos. I'm not worried about the chaos because I'm, I'm listening to what he's telling me to do. What, what do you want me to do right here? Because I have faith that he's going to take care of it. I have confidence. That is being united with Christ. In Romans chapter 5, it says this. That, that, that he says, for, for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. If we're, if we're been united with him, then we have died to ourselves and we have been brought up with new life. The, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus has brought unity between us and the Father. Before that, there was no unity because we had ruined that. The Bible tells us that we were enemies of God. And then he redeemed us. If you have allowed Jesus to save you and you're a follower of Jesus, what he says is we have been united in his death and in his resurrection. That we're no longer separated. But it starts when we recognize that God has a purpose for us and he wants us to follow him. We can have victory when we follow him. I think it's helpful when we have rhythms. We operate in rhythms. And a lot of us, you probably do have a rhythm. Your, your day starts out the same way. Maybe you, first thing you do is get that cup of coffee and you may sit out on the porch, you may read, you may grab a newspaper, you may scroll through Facebook, you know, whatever your, your daily routine is. But when you agree with me that rhythms are good, if we can get into healthy rhythms, and some of, and I would say that in this last couple of years, I feel like all of our rhythms have been knocked off, haven't they? And I think what has happened is when our rhythms got knocked off, we were trying to get back into the rhythm that we had when a lot of our rhythms weren't healthy to start with. When we reunite with Jesus, he brings us new rhythm. He brings us healthy rhythms. And we have to be reminded of these. And a, and a healthy rhythm would be to, to remind ourselves that we, our story doesn't end in defeat. It doesn't end in defeat because we've cast our minds to Calvary. We know what happened on that cross. We know what happened three days later. On the back of your handout, I gave you seven daily statements that I, I want you to use this week to help turn your mind from what's happening around us to focusing on God and really hearing. And, and here's a couple of them on, on Monday. You can say these out loud in first thing in the morning, but make these declarations. Isaiah 43, one says that my God knows my name. Think about that. The king of the universe. I think he's got a lot of stuff going on. Wouldn't you agree with that? But he knows my name. And he's called me a son of the king. He's called you sons and daughters of the king. He knows my name. What a, what a way to wake up tomorrow declaring that. 
well, I know that they said this about me and I know this is happening around me, but he knows my name. If he knows my name, what else does he know? He knows every hair that is on your head. Y'all expect me to make a joke right there about bald people, weren't you? Because y'all haven't read the story of Elijah when they picked on him for being bald. Bears came out and killed him. I know better. What if Tuesday you got up and you quoted Deuteronomy 31, 8 that says, my God goes before me. Yeah, I'm going to work today, but God's already there. I got to go have a conversation with my boss today. My God is already there. I, I feel like I need to text this, this encouragement to a friend, but I don't know how they're going to take it. My God is already there. I need to have this conversation, this spiritual conversation with somebody. I feel like God's telling me to share Jesus with them. Your God is already in that conversation. What about on Wednesday? You quote Philippians 4.13, and you, you know that it didn't have anything to do with winning a national championship, but you say that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everything that he's called me to do, I can do that. Or on Thursday, quote Romans 8. It says, my present sufferings pale in comparison to the future glory that God has stored up for me in my life. doesn't matter what I'm going through. This fails in all kinds of ways. It's not even close to what God has for me when I get on the other side of eternity. So I will gladly take up my cross daily. I will gladly lay my life down for the gospel of Jesus because this is nothing compared to what I'm going to get on the other side. Or Friday, you quote in Isaiah 54, 17 that says that for no weapon that's formed against you will prosper. It doesn't mean that it may not sting. It may not mean that you're not going to feel it. But what it does mean is whatever weapon the enemy has on you will not prosper and will not overtake you. Because you have victory. And the people that are like, well, I don't, I don't, I'm a Christian. I don't come under attack. <laughs> if you're not being attacked, I want to question that. But it doesn't say that you'll never have weapons formed against you. What it says is that none of them that are formed against you will prosper. Because of your shepherd. Remember, his rod and his staff comfort us. You wake up on Saturday reminding yourself that you're a child of God because you've had to go through this whole work week. And Friday, you were glad to get here. And on Saturday, you, I am a child of God because I probably wanted to murder somebody back in the office or at the school or wherever you were this week. You probably had those thoughts. Let's just be honest. Stop polishing your halos. We all have them. And we need to be reminded that we're a child of God. And then before you come to church next Sunday, you can just be reminded of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 that, that you and I have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within us. What would your week look like if you started capturing those thoughts? You started your day with those seven statements. You can insert any verse you want here. But what would it look like? Can I just tell you that if we, if we started buying into this truth, claiming this truth and walking in this truth every place that we step our feet God would give us because he would be exposed because God's everywhere you believe that he's everywhere he's omnipresent the problem is people don't have spirit eyes to see him at work in those places you know why those pastors keep they leave and get their families out of Ukraine and come back for their people because they see God at work in the middle of all of that mess they have spirit eyes to see it because they know this isn't a war between flesh. This is a war of darkness and principalities. So allow the way that God sees you to inform you how you see yourself. And for how you see yourself, that's going to inform how you're going to live. And that's how you win 
the battle for the mind because that's the path to victory is hearing from him and walking in that truth. And I'm going to tell you right now that when you start walking in that truth, everything in life is going to come at you to try to knock you off that path. But you're going to have to remind the enemy of who he is and where his place is. And I'm telling you today, his place is not at the table. So we're going to go into a time right now. We're going to get ready to sing. And we're going to sing victory. And there's a couple of things that you can do. But I pray that you would, even right now, maybe you, you need to read some of those verses to yourself. Because maybe you came in here with some stuff on your mind. You know the enemy has pulled up the chair. And you need to fight through it. Can I just tell you, one of the best ways to remove him is to start worshiping. Worship and prayer will move the enemy away from you because it scares him because he, he flees at the mention of his name. At the mention because he knows what's up. He doesn't like the chant of victory. That's why worship is so important that we, we participate. Even with music is that we sing. God gave us these vocal cords. You may say, I don't have a great voice. He's not listening to your voice. He's looking at an attitude of your heart. It's the posture of your heart. And this morning we have an opportunity to make the devil tremble. We walk out of here and have conversations with people. We make him tremble. We take back ground in victory today. So we're going to sing. We have communion set up in the back. If you want to grab communion and bring it back to your seat, you can. But just, remind, just remember, as you take communion, that is a direct reminder of the victory that we have because of Jesus' body being broken for us. So let's pray. Father, I thank you right now for who you are and what you're going to do in this place. In these next moments, the enemy will do anything to keep us from, from making these connection points today. He'll keep us any, do anything that he can to keep us from having victory. But Lord, today we declare victory in your name through your cross. And Father, I just pray that we'd walk in these truths, we would claim these truths today. But in these next moments, just wrestle, help us to wrestle with these thoughts, and help us to live in this tension, to hear from your spirit, and to be obedient to these things. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.